Joining me today is a former CIA officer and host of the new podcast, The President's Daily Brief, Brian Dean Wright. Welcome back to The Rubin Report. Pleasure is always, my friend. Brian, you've been on a couple times. I, I know you a bit outside of the show. Um, I did not know you were the president. Is there something I've been missing here? Well, it was. I, I started first with a local group of dog owners uh, as the president of that club, and I've moved all the way to the White House <laughs> in my mind, and it's great. Just me and Joe, and we're working on a Hunter's laptop. It's going to be a, a, all fixed up. Don't you worry about that. The President's Daily Brief, that's the name of the show. You have a, a real pedigree in the CIA that I want to talk about for people that have not seen some of your other appearances on my show. I want to recap some of that stuff. But yeah. let's just, just off the name of the, of the new show, The President's Daily Brief. Now, I'm not a big believer in this guy. Something does not seem right with this guy. I'm starting to think this guy may not be in charge. Is this your way of <laughs> kind of getting in and in case something yeah. happens saying, hey, I'm here, I've got the title of the show, et cetera? Uh, I wasn't thinking about that, but now that you mention it, yes, and I'm ready to serve uh, because let's be honest, Kamala's number two, and that's also a hot mess. And then we got Pelosi. Uh, we all know where that's going. So yeah, it's me. <laughs> I'm ready. It's you, it's you. All right, for, for people that, that don't know you, we'll link to the original interview below if they want the full, the full recap, but can you just give me a little of the Brian Dean Wright 101, a little bit of your history in the CIA? And then also we have a sort of similar political path that we should get into a bit as well. Yeah, so I uh, began my career with the CIA just after the 9-11 attacks. It was uh, October of 2001. Uh, you know, we, we were all panicked uh, as we all started our young careers as you know, folks who loved this country, we had just been hit in the face. Nobody quite knew exactly who, when, and, and uh, you know, where abroad we might be hit from next. So that really kicked off my career at the agency. And I was there for a good number of years, focused on weapons of mass destruction, counterterrorism, as most of us did, uh, focused a little bit in uh, Asia, uh, can't get in particulars, and then also in Africa. Uh, and it was an amazing career. And I had a great, great time uh, doing it. And been fortunate to actually teach the next cadre or next generation of officers as well. So I've had a really, really fun career. Uh, and then towards the very end, got introduced to a few different people to include you and had a great opportunity that was just by lucky happenstance to start talking about different issues in the world, particular national security. And here we are with a podcast and uh, I'm really excited. How tough is it to make that transition? Because CIA, you got to be somebody that can't drop all the secrets all the time. Yeah. And then uh, next thing you know, you're talking on camera, doing a podcast. Yeah. Uh, how do you blend those two things? Spent uh, 20 years avoiding cameras and attention, and now <laughs> here I am. Uh, it, it, it's an odd transition. You know, I think if you talk to anybody who has really been a true operator, they, they understand the importance of being anonymous, you know, unlike, let's say, James Bond or, or you know, those characters. The, the idea is that you go into somewhere and you start blowing stuff up. The idea is you go in, you're very quiet, you're discreet, you do what you need to do, and then you leave and actually no one ever knows. So if you're pulling out a gun or you're tossing a bomb, like something's gone pretty <laughs> wrong, right? So, uh, but the, the idea of then sitting in front of a camera and engaging people, uh, yes, was absolutely odd. But I will tell you that in, in many ways, the, the job has a lot of um, parallels in that if you do it well and if you do it right, and, and with all, truly, I think you're one of them, you, you really can capture people's hearts and minds 
and you can move people. And I think with intelligence, you can do that with your listeners or your your viewers, uh, you know, if you're briefing the president, right? So the president's daily brief is an actual brief given to the president of the United States uh, every morning by our spies and analysts. And you can capture the president's attention, not only with what's happening in the world, um, but how do we solve the problems and, and why he or she should care about those problems. So uh, I, I think in that sense, there are some parallels and I'm really excited to bring that kind of background to this podcast and bring listeners that same uh, focus, that same piece of, of critical information every morning. So I actually want to talk about the, the real president's brief that you just uh, mentioned, as well as whether you think Joe is actually reading it or whether they even bother handing it to him or even if they're printing it at this point. But putting that aside for a second, yeah, it struck me as you were saying that, that if, if five years ago, and I had you on probably maybe three or four years ago, but if let's say five or even seven years ago, I had had a former CIA officer on, my feeling about the CIA as an institution would be very different than it is right now. And I Amen. think a lot of people feel that. And it's not with any great pleasure I say that. I suspect for you with a lot of displeasure. Yeah. Can you talk about what has sort of happened to the agencies? Like we see this woke thing infecting absolutely everything. I mean, the CIA, the FBI, the military, they're tweeting about woke stuff more than seemingly doing whatever it is that they are supposed to do, even if we're not supposed to know all that stuff. Right. So, man, I'll tell you that there are two things that I think uh, folks should really be focusing on. The first is the, the weaponization of the intelligence community. You know, we knew back in May of 2017, James Comey, the, the FBI director at the time, acknowledged that he had leaked uh, sensitive classified information to a cutout to the New York Times with the only goal uh, of basically hammering uh, Donald Trump, getting a new special counsel uh, to investigate the, the, the Russia collusion allegations. Now, Comey knew back then, and unfortunately we were only learning in the last number of years, that that was garbage, right? So we saw that in the FBI. We later saw it with the, a guy named Kevin Kleinsmith, who was a very senior FBI official who falsified evidence to a court to get surveillance or continue surveillance on Carter Page. So I think that had you told me that seven years ago, that that was in the realm of possible, I would have, to be honest with you, I would have laughed you out of the room because what I knew to be true is that we had people who were committed to the rule of law, whether it be the FBI or the CIA, we were committed to our oaths to be non-political, uh, apolitical, certainly when we walked through those front doors and we were focused on mission. But that has been completely and utterly annihilated. That is to say, my belief that the intelligence community and the FBI are, are not political. They are, we have proof, we have evidence, it's, it's painful. Uh, because at the very moment that we are facing this massive challenge with China, this huge issue with Russia, we actually need a really good, healthy, functional intelligence community and law enforcement community. And on the federal level, we just, we don't have it. I can't tell you or the folks watching that they've got the kind of government that they deserve because I don't think that they do. Do you know when that started there? Because now we're seeing it more obviously, but it didn't just start because they started tweeting about this stuff six months ago, obviously. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I think, uh, candidly, politics aside, I think during the Obama years, you started seeing a lot of people misunderstanding that you know, they were there to be of service to their country. And instead, those agencies and ultimately their countries was to be of service to them. I mean, Jack Kennedy said it very famously many decades ago. That started to change, I think, culturally 
uh, in the Obama years because it was really about me. It was about the self, you know, my truth and celebrating that. And so we went, I think, from, uh, you know, the early 2000s when, you know, people were saying very clearly, look, it doesn't matter if you're gay or straight or Christian or Muslim or black and white, just come in and be of service, leave your politics at the door. So that was, I think, where most of us would be is to say, yeah, get the equal opportunity that's focused on mission. And now it's become instead of mission or really at, at the same level of mission, tell me what you're passionate about, what your interests are. Like, tell me your story and your truth, uh, stuff that's not mission critical, but it's being treated as such. And I, and I can tell you a couple of amazing stories on the inside of the agency about how this the, the racial woke piece is really detrimental or playing a, a profoundly detrimental role in mission criticalness. Give me one of those. <laughs> All right. So there was an individual. Pick one, anyone. Yeah, a lot of them, unfortunately. There was a, a, a black officer who wanted to start an organization, an internal organization, where only black people, and then he would have preferred only black gay people could come to a meeting, right? So in other words, on government property, with inside Langley, you had to be black and you had to be gay in order to come to those meetings. Now, I don't even know how many people would fit the bill there, maybe like seven or eight, so I'm not sure what you've done at that meeting. But nevertheless, uh, the point is, there was this very clearly discriminatory uh, request by an officer who should have known better. Uh, but he made the request, and the Office of General Counsel I had to come in and say, no, that is wildly inappropriate, we're not doing that. And he was actually livid. I mean, he was livid uh, that he had to be told no and to be reminded of the law. So that kind of wokeism stuff matched with, I think, some of the, the PR stuff you see coming out of the CIA these days. You may recall that young woman in the Twitter video of saying that she was a, a what was this, a, a, a bisexual or lesbian Latina who has ADHD. And oh, yeah, yeah. She, went, she had a little of everything. She went to the woke Olympics yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, list. Yeah. So that, I'm sorry to say, is, is really become the younger culture and, you know, folks who are a little bit older who came through, I think, the era, frankly, of the 90s, uh, such as yourself and myself, that the Gen Xers were like, look, we don't care who you are, just coming to do the work. Uh, we want to treat everybody with, with uh, you know, respect and, and equal opportunity. But it's now like you now have to believe what I do. And if you don't, you're a bigot or a racist or homophobe, et cetera. And that's new. And that's only been in the past sort of five to 10 years, really started under the Obama years. Are you shocked that the institutions didn't have better defenses against this? I've asked this to many guests from many different disciplines, usually at the education level, that you'd think that some of the STEM subjects would have had better defenses. People were like, oh yeah, of course, you know, lesbian dance theory was gonna go down, but you know, math perhaps or biology that should have been okay, but now we're seeing it across there. Are you surprised that our, our actual, I mean, these are our most highest elite security mm. services now are going down, that they did not have some fail safe in there? Uh, look, am I surprised? Yeah, I think most people in this country right now are not just surprised, but shocked, right? I think most people want to be reasonable and want to be compassionate about, you know, welcoming different people into their families, into their communities. Um, but we're, we're seeing that go well beyond any degree of reason. Uh, and so I think the CIA, you're seeing it a reflection of what people are experiencing outside of Langley, in their own families, in their own communities. Uh, they're feeling that pressure to sort of conform. Uh, and then they're being told from the top down, from the president's office, uh, him or herself, like, you have to do this. And they're like, well, I'm, I'm not going to be fired, so I guess I have to you know, go along with it. And, and that's what I think you're seeing. Even the very, very smart, very, very critical thinking people are starting to fall into this trap because they, they're gonna lose their job if they don't.
When you saw the 51, I believe it was, uh, former intelligence officers uh, who all said that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian misinformation or disinformation, they all said it without having seen it, okay? When you saw that, so let's go back before it's been debunked, but when it originally came out, I'm talking during the election, when they all came out and said that, conveniently enough, right before the election, what, what was your take then compared to now? Mm-hmm. Both then and now my reaction was the same. There is absolutely no way to know unless you do a forensic analysis of whether or not that laptop A, belonged to Hunter Biden, and B, if there was any additional information added that would be thus disinformation or propaganda or part of some sort of covert action op by the Russians, the Chinese, whoever it might be. So to immediately come out and just dismiss it was absurd. And what it showed me was that those people on that list were partisans. They were, they were using the, the, the stink, as it were, of working at the CIA, being an intelligence officer, to you know, go out to the American people with some degree of gravitas, like they're sort of mini James Bond or whoever it might be, and so you're gonna take them seriously. And so they abused their professional histories to make this partisan point. And so again, we, we saw this, by the way, not just with the, the Hunter uh, Biden laptop, we saw this with the Steele dossier. That, that's perhaps even more egregious years prior to that, when I think you could say, where's a point where we really started seeing this publicly? You had a whole bunch of intelligence officials who damn well know better that when you get information, which was what was inside the Steele dossier, which is from Russia, right, that you have to tre- you know, tread very, very cautiously around Russian intel because of the likelihood that it has been fed, in this case, to Steele, the, the, the British uh, spy. So when you had people saying, oh, the, the Steele dossier is true, it's got to be true. That's when I was like, all right, this, this whole thing has been cooked. The, 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 this is absolutely members of the IC wanting to be part of the Hillary Clinton administration or the Joe Biden administration now who are trying to gain favor and they're using their backgrounds to do so. And it's just infuriating because ultimately what happens and what has happened is that the American people lose faith in the intelligence community. They lose faith in the law enforcement community, and rightfully so. And so when that happens, you've got a whole bunch of people with lots of profound powers who don't actually have the support of the American people. They start acting basically with impunity because they can. It, it just Countries start falling apart when this stuff happens, and, and that's the part that, that I'm so profoundly afraid of. Right, so I try not to be a crazy alarmist on this show. Try, maybe I fail at it, but I try not to be. But it seems to me that's kind of where we're at because when the 51 intelligence uh, uh, officers, in, in essence, former- Propagandists. Form, pro- propagandists. I was trying to be nice. Thank you for cleaning that up for me. Yeah, you don't have to. When those 51 propagandists were exposed as such, meaning the New York Times finally, a year and a half later, everyone knows this now, a month and a half ago yeah. or so, finally said, yeah, yeah, the laptop was real, by the way. Did anyone get called into an office? Did anyone get fired from a consulting gig they got? Did anyone get fired from a lobbying firm or anything? I suspect not. And that goes to your point about the trust. It's like, I think they sort of feel like can get away with anything because they can get away with anything. Yeah. Well, and there was a uh, report out some time back that the Joe Biden administration has actually encouraged and allowed this junk uh, intel to go out about Ukraine. I mean, all because he wants to try to encourage the American people to embrace a greater involvement in, in the war. 
So you are having this, this intelligence fiasco after fiasco. And at some level, I think a reasonable person says, I've had enough. Whenever you say American intelligence assesses, I'm, I'm not going to believe it. And, and I can't tell those people right now, particularly with the current leadership, that they're wrong. And that's, that's really sad for a guy who spent most of his life in the world of intelligence. Let's shift that a little bit to what you just mentioned there. So, so this Russia-Ukraine situation, I actually have not covered it a ton on the show. I, I was very honest with my audience from the beginning. I was kind of like, this whole thing reads very weird to me. It, the whole setup, the Biden laptop piece of it, Suddenly we all got to hate Russia. I'm not defending Russia. You can't just invade a sovereign nation, but it just there it just felt like so much propaganda that I've I've bounced around it a little bit and I've talked about the after effects meaning inflation and gas and things like that and and I've tried to talk about what we should do perhaps and shouldn't do, but I'm not doing the daily thing with Russia and Ukraine. How are you able to assess information properly? Because I think people are just, you know, you put the Ukrainian flag in your Twitter avatar, everybody else is an evil Nazi, that's it. Yeah. I suspect it's not quite that simple. Oh dear, no. Uh, so, you know, you know that you're caught in a hysteria when, and this is true, both of the major marathons in this country have banned runners from Ukraine or Russia, uh, I should say Russia or uh, Belarus from running, right. right? So we're banning marathon yeah, not runners Ukraine, not because Ukraine. of their it's national Ukraine. identity. Right, and we're pouring out, you know, we're renaming Chicken Kiev, and it's Chicken Kiev, it's, stop. All right, it's, it's, we are, this is hysteria, defined. So uh, I, I think that it's important for people like me to speak to these issues around war and peace, and including in Ukraine, knowing that there is a fog of war issue. So when I talk about Ukraine or any other places around the world, I'm gonna be very careful to make sure that I have medium or high degree of confidence and what I'm sharing with people. Now, this issue of confidence is one that is very familiar to anybody who's worked in the intelligence community. You don't put out to policymakers or the public low confidence information. Low confidence information means that you haven't vetted it or the person, right? You haven't compared that report that that spy is giving you to maybe you've captured an email or a phone call or you've gotten other spies who are confirming the same, uh, same information. So in other words, there's this issue of confidence. You want to give policymakers medium to high degree of confidence in your assessments. I do that the same, uh, uh, have that same focus, that same spirit when I talk about things on the President's Daily Brief, the podcast, and that's what the intelligence community should be doing right now on the issues of Ukraine and others, but that's not what's happening. Again, this report that came out not too terribly long ago that confirmed the Biden administration is putting out low confidence intel, gossip, rumors, to the American press about what's happening in the Ukraine. Example, the story that Russia was going to utilize uh, you know, chemical or biological weaponry, uh, that story came out in, in February into March. There was actually no intelligence that said that that would happen. Now, it, it could still in the future, or per, perhaps as we're speaking, it just has. But the point is, at the moment, when they gave that story to the, the American people and to the world, it wasn't true. So when you start doing that, when you start just pumping out you know, low confidence information, information that's probably just gossip and rumors, you do this horrible thing of undermining confidence in the intelligence community. And oh, by the way, Dave, we did this before. Do you remember in the run-up in the war of uh, Iraq, we started that war because of weapons of mass mm -hmm. destruction. That was the story that was sold to people. We had low confidence that that was true, by the way, 
It was based on one guy. Uh, the operation was Curveball, yep. and Curveball was a big old liar. And it was the responsibility of the intelligence community to vet that person, their information, to say, nope, that was a lie. But didn't Colin Powell the say there was a rod? I thought Colin Powell went in front of Congress and said he saw a rod or something. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, I'm sure they all saw lots of things after it turned they were, they were wrong, namely their retirements. Yeah. Uh, but the, the issue is, so now the intelligence community, when I was at the CIA, we all were burned by that case. And we said to each other, particularly the analysts, Never again, never again are we going to be allowed to pump out low confidence, uh, low confidence garbage intel into the world because we're going to get ourselves in trouble again. We're going to cause trillion dollar wars with hundreds of thousands of people dead like in Iraq or thousands and thousands of our soldiers and airmen and the rest who come home without arms and, and legs and, and their minds are broken. Like that's the legacy of putting out garbage intel and Joe Biden is doing it again in the Ukraine. What do you make of what I would argue is the like absolutely extraordinary level of incompetence of this administration when it comes to the messaging? So for example, when just a couple weeks ago, there was suddenly this rumor that they were gonna use, Russia was gonna use chemical weapons. I did not bother saying a word about it because it just felt nonsensical to me because why wouldn't you in a war of propaganda just be like, yeah, the other guy is gonna use chemical weapons. It's a, that's a pretty good move. But then, Joe Biden was asked a question about uh, chemical weapons, and he said, if he uses them, we'll respond in kind. Now, I don't think he has a, the greatest understanding of what he's saying on any given moment, especially when it's completely off prompter, but that everything they say, we, we did an incredible uh, compilation on my show a couple weeks ago of the mixed messaging related to sanctions. Sanctions will stop them, sanctions do nothing, sanctions do a little, sanctions do a lot. Everybody yeah. from the president to Saki to Kamala to the whole crew just saying every version of everything. Yeah. Well, you were highlighting the inconsistencies. The American people see the inconsistencies. And that's why at this present moment, Joe Biden's approval numbers uh, are, are about those of, of a really bad case of hemorrhoids. And so it makes sense that the American people, are they see through it. We all see through it. Um, and it, it ultimately, beyond the political ramifications for the rest of this year, for instance, and the run up to the midterm elections, it also has profound implications in terms of our relationships with people abroad. Because, for instance, when we start sharing bits and pieces of intelligence, is that really true? And we're asking these countries to do things on our behalf because of this intelligence. Right. So that's the cost from our national security perspective when they're putting out bogus information or they're putting out stuff that's even inconsistent with their own values. So if Joe Biden says that we're gonna respond in kind with chemical weaponry, are they gonna pause and say, well, we don't wanna hitch our nation's wagon to this country, America, right now, because it's being led by a crazy person who obviously is mentally incapacitated to some degree and clearly is not able to make good decisions or can't even put out the right words to do so. So th there's, there's pretty serious national security ramifications to his mumblings, and, and we all see it, it's reflected in the approval numbers, but I guarantee you when capitals around the world right now, they see it too. How do we reverse some of this stuff? Because, okay, we could all say, all right, the, the errors always seem to be in the Democrats' favor or the leaks are always to the New York Times in the favor of the Democrats, et cetera, et cetera. But this isn't just, okay, elect more Republicans and you're gonna save the intelligence services, right? I mean, what yeah. is the solution? Well, you know, I mentioned Jack Kennedy earlier. He has a pretty famous quote that I, I love and I embrace. And it's, uh, you know, when we seek out solutions, let, let us not seek the Democratic answer or the Republican answer, but the right answer. Uh, 
And I think that most reasonable people in this country understand that that's really how you should govern. Uh, and that's how you should lead your own families, not necessarily in terms of your politics, but you look for the right way to do things based on you know, reason and, and critical thinking. So the issue then is at this moment in time, do we have two parties or two movements or another party that we're not considering beyond the Democrats, Republicans, who are committed to critical thinking, to, to reason? Or is one of them just so wildly off the mark that we just have to say, look, for right now, those people are too crazy. And that, for me, uh, that decision was very obvious about a year ago. I left the Democrat Party, I became a Republican, not because of any you know, profound affection or affinity for Republicanism in general, although I've always been a conservative. But the point is, we actually have people on the left right now, the Democrat Party, which I've been a part of for a long time, was my family, who are saying critical thinking is bad, right? Reason is bad. Why? Because those are things that white people do, and white is bad. That's not hyperbole, by the way. They're saying this. You know this. You've spoken about this eloquently. So if that's part of the the, the answer that people are, when they have to go to the, the, the ballot box, and they're saying, okay, do I want to elect the people who don't think that reason or critical thinking is a good thing? In fact, it's a bad thing because it's white. Like, no, it doesn't even matter what the rest of their solutions are. Those people are crazy. And I'm not going to 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 vote for them. Now, you very again eloquently talk about that the left is is you know mentally bonkers. They're mentally ill, and that's true. The party is full of these folks, and because they are so full of of these sort of panicked, hysterical ways of thinking, that they're not responsible enough to govern. There are some Democrats still who are reasonable, but they choose to be quiet. Right? Some of the blue dogs, for instance, they have chosen to just be quiet, to go along, to get along. Um, and that's that's just not enough, right? I mean, there aren't enough of them, and they certainly aren't speaking up to say, yep, all right, they're crazy elements, but I'm gonna give them a shot. Because those people are not in leadership, and they never will be. So that's exactly why I said at the beginning that we've had similar political evolutions, because you were a Democrat most of your life, and you've probably heard me say it, but I, my new line that I've been saying for about a year and a half now is, you don't have to be a Republican, but you cannot be a Democrat. That, that seems like the honest assessment. It does not mean that these guys are right and they screw up an awful lot of stuff. Yeah. But as AOC said, you don't have to be factually right, you have to be morally co correct. That is, that is some dangerous, dangerous stuff. Yeah, well, it's reflective of her political movement, which is not liberalism, it's, it's Marxism. And she's very clear, although she hides it on occasion or dresses it up in TikTok dance videos, to make people think that it's cute and fun. But you are absolutely right. You have called this out consistently, and, and folks watching know that that is absolutely uh, the truth, uh, because we have eyes and ears, and we listen to people on the left right now. Um, you know, the, the, the video that went around some time back of, uh, you know, I think it was Dennis Prager who, who went on the Bill Maher show a number of years ago and was talking about this idea of sort of the, the trans uh, movement, and that right now, you know, a bunch of people are saying that, that men can menstruate. And what was so interesting uh, is, of course, the Bill Mayer and others were laughing at him at the absurdity that anybody would propose such a thing. But it was also that the audience, the audience was laughing at uh, the suggestion that men could menstruate. I mean, they all thought it was just this absurd thing these crazy right wing people were saying. But it turns out he was right both then and now. And other people were making this argument. Look, look you're, not only are you telling us that we can't think or we can't think for ourselves or think can't think critically or with reason, but now you're actually telling us to abandon basic biology, basic facts, 
And so the question is, why? Why are you having us do this? Because this is crazy. And so politically speaking, you're going to start losing a lot of people who otherwise identify as you know, Democrats or you know moderate Democrats, even some progressives that I've talked to, and I'm sure you have as well. They're like, okay, I don't know where this is going uh, or where it came from, but <laughs> this is really weird. Um, they want to be embracing all kinds of different people and they want to create a, a lovely opportunity for folks to, to excel in life. But this stuff of, of, you know, the magic closet where teachers right now are telling, you know, trans kids that uh, they can go into the secret closet with a teacher and, tr and swap out their clothes, but don't tell mom and dad. I mean, come on, that, that's ridiculous. That kind of stuff, that's creepy. It is grooming behavior and it's wildly inappropriate. Yeah, and people are more upset with the label grooming than actually what's going on in the freaking secret closet. And to your point yeah. about Dennis Prager, that was probably a year and a half ago. And uh, you know, just in the last couple of weeks, we confirmed a Supreme Court justice who isn't a biologist, so she has no freaking clue what the difference between a male and a female is. But, but okay, so let's, let's if, if someone's listening to this and they're like, all right, I won't vote for Democrats, at least for now. I'll vote for Republicans. So now we get all the Republicans in. We get the red wave that, that I pray will happen because we need it at least for now. What yeah. will they do that will fix the intelligence agencies? I mean, what really has that? Are we just cleaning house, firing? You know, you hear some people just fire everybody or close. I mean, I hear people talking about just close them all. Just get rid of everybody. Yeah. Well, look, I think all options have to be on the table. And I think that you have to understand that within the Department of Defense, the FBI, the CIA, and the NSA, there is a history of doing a pretty profound sort of investigation, as it were, panels on the, the House uh, Intelligence Select Committees. There was a, a church committee back in the 1970s when there were all kinds of horrible things that the intelligence community, the CIA, was doing. They had these conversations where they said, look, you guys are out of control and here's what we need to do to fix it. So in other words, let's acknowledge there's a problem and then let's talk about how we fix the problem. And I think that that's where you need to start. And I think Republicans would be very, very wise in both the House and the Senate to have those series of investigative conversation, those panels, those committee conversations, and probably many months long where you just start you know, airing some dirty laundry inside the intel community, some of the bad things that they would probably otherwise uh, folks want, you know, they don't want us to know about Put it out there and let's have, uh, you know, some solutions based on how bad the rot is. This is happening, by the way, in the military. They're becoming super woke as well. I, I've had the, the great fortune of working with folks in the military for a good number of years. They see it too. I've seen it too there. So this is broad and we need to have some really good oversight diving into this issue. It's not just the woke stuff. It's how did it start? Who embraces it? Moving those people who aren't focused on mission and then you know, rising other individuals up into positions of authority and influence who I don't care if they're Republican or Democrat, conservative or liberal, whatever, they have a, an exclusive understanding of mission, right? A, a faithful commitment to law and order and that they take an oath and they understand what that means. And that is to be of service to the American people and to the mission and they leave politics behind. That's what has to be reinstilled into the intelligence community, FBI, the CIA, NSA, and also our military how do you do that? You got to remove some people. Unquestionably, that's going to happen. Do you look at folding, you know, the FBI? I'm open not to, you know, collapsing the entirety of it. But if you want to shift the mission, different parts of the National Security Division, for instance, other places, let's talk about it. I don't know what the solution is, but we need dramatic and complete reform. 
What I always think sits behind a conversation like this, and I've had this type of conversation with you before, and I've had it with other people, and you've obviously had it with tons and tons of other people, is like, aren't you afraid to talk about some of this stuff? Like, don't they put the drink, you know, the drop in the drink when you're looking the wrong way? Or, or, or well, the litany <laughs> of weird things or drop information on you or smear you or go to the New York Times and lie. I mean, the litany of things that they can do to anybody in a time, especially when it's fueled by algorithms and, and a media that's not yeah. an honest arbiter of truth. I mean, you're, you're saying yeah. some pretty, you know, it's some, it's some scary stuff that obviously some powerful people will not be thrilled to hear. Yeah. Well, not to be cliched about this, but if you remember the founding of this country, when someone asked, I believe it was Benjamin Franklin, what kind of government that he and the, and the rest of the founding fathers and mothers gave us, his response was a republic if you can keep it, right? So explicit in that response from the very foundation of our government is you have to get in there, roll up your sleeves and get dirty. Um, and unfortunately, that getting dirty sometimes can be you know, somebody sullying your reputation at worst or doing you physical harm, uh, or I should say best, and doing you physical <laughs> harm at worst. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, has it crossed my mind? Sure. Um, is it possible that there'll be some sort of, you know, deep AI smear campaign? Yeah, of course. In fact, I think that's gonna, it's gonna hit not just, you know, truth tellers, people who speak up and, and tell the American people what's really going on, but I think you're also gonna see different politicians be hit by that. That warning has been out for a number of years. So I, I absolutely think that it's possible Maybe not on an official basis, but former officers who might not like me uh, could decide to do you know little shenanigans. You know, I, sure. But my bo my bottom line uh, to anyone who's worrying about that is, if we live in fear, we will be ruled by it. So I'm not going to live uh, in fear. I know who I am. I know I'm a good man. I'm not a perfect man. And if it is you know such that I end up getting hit or smeared by something, then by God, so be it then somebody else is going to pick up the flag and they're going to grab that thing and they're going to keep running forward. Because this place is exceptional. This country is exceptional. It's worth fighting for. It is imperfect. But it's our job to make it better. And I'm not going to be ruled by fear. And I don't think people like you are either. And what's awesome about people like you with your voice, people putting out incredible books like you are, you're telling people don't live in fear either. Find alternatives, keep pushing, and do not stop because this place is worth saving. That should be the end of the show, but we still got some more time. But that was that was a beautiful opus to uh, to end this thing on. Now now you've put a lot of pressure on yourself to, to end <laughs> this thing to end this thing properly. Somebody give me a Lincoln speech. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, since we we're, we're sort of bouncing around with a whole bunch of stuff here, so let, let's just keep going. Then, when it comes to the the way the intelligence community deals with media and with big tech, yeah. um, what should we be thinking about, worrying about. So, you know, if we just back up to the, again, to the Biden laptop, it wasn't just the 51 CIA and intelligence officials. It was also that Twitter got in on it. So it's like, why has nobody said to Twitter, hey, who, who decided that? Did you guys have a meeting? Is there an email record of that? Maybe a, a calendar invite? Yeah. So, you know, if, if, is the ultimate question, how the heck do we get a, uh, a lasso on big tech and make sure that they're sticking to, you know, what they should be, which is, you know, the, a provider of opportunities to share speech versus censors. Um, there are very smart people who work on this issue. You are one with locals and, and uh, other great solutions. And I think that's what you do. You start building your own infrastructure uh, to reach people. And that's going to take time. That's going to take a lot of effort and a lot of money. I think we're starting to see people who 
might not necessarily be an ideological partner in some ways, but guys like Elon Musk who are stepping up to the plate and saying, hey, here are my resources, not because I love, you know, conservatives or, or you know, liberals, but damn it, there should be a platform for people to speak truth or their version of it. And the, the answer to crazy uh, talk is more sane talk. Uh, and that's always been the actual liberal position. You've talked about this. That's the classic liberal position that has been abandoned by the left. Um, and they've embraced tyranny and censorship, you know. So I, I think that it is more of us recognizing what's happening uh, and more people with uh, influence, people like you, people with money like Elon Musk, finding market solutions to this problem. And then it's about next fall, God willing, conservatives take over. For no, no matter if you agree or disagree on some of the you know other pl party platform positions, this has to be a central one. And so when you go to vote, you make it very clear to the person you're voting for in whatever way you do that, look, I might not otherwise have voted for you, but this is an important issue to me. The censorship stuff, this, this, it's really about our constitutional rights. They're under assault. Fix it. And maybe I'll vote for you again. I don't know. But you deserve one shot to get this right because it's an existential problem and it's important to me. You mean you don't necessarily deserve 60 years in the Senate like some of these people or in the House or whatever they're doing, not the senators, but the people in the House that are there forever. Yeah. Nancy Pelosi's been there 87 years, something like that. Yeah. It's just, it never ends. Can you talk a little bit about generally how in politics uh, secrets remain secrets? So, or things like, for example, things that we can see that we all can kind of see with our own eyes that somehow just never get discussed. So the, the Biden cognitive stuff, it's obvious. Everyone knows it. Every single person that you mention to, you talk about it privately, everyone will admit something is not right there, but no one's allowed to talk about it on mainstream. It's never brought up. Meanwhile, if Trump was slurring every one of his words and making up stories and having these blips that just go completely awry, we, we would have 25th amended, amendmented him, you know, seven times ago. So, so yeah. what do we do? H how does that happen, I guess, is the question. Well, look, I think- Not what do we do, I have some ideas. I just said one of yeah. the 25th Amendment. <laughs> look, I think if you look back in American history, there have been times when the media has stepped in to hide uh, a deficiency of a leader. So I'm, I'm thinking of Roosevelt and some of his, you know, physical challenges being in the wheelchair and so forth. So it, it's not unprecedented, the issue is, why are we hiding, that is to say, why is the press hiding this thing that, that might otherwise be bad or perceived as bad in the world? You know, for Roosevelt, it, it was about, you know, would people view him as weak if he couldn't stand up on his own two feet, right? And, but otherwise his mind, his decision-making processes, the, the, the ability to surround himself with smart people and make good decisions for the country, that was never in doubt. So it, it was more of a, it, this is a private matter that made him sort of look less manly, perhaps, or, or it was wrong, of course. He was just as manly as, as he was ever in a wheelchair otherwise. But at the time, that was kind of the, the logic. It was a bit more of a genteel approach to a personal problem, right? But that's not the case anymore. The press is basically serving as the mouthpiece mm -hmm. for different politicians, right? So it's, I don't want this embarrassing thing about their infidelity or their cognitive impairment or the fact that they've taken on, you know, whatever degree of corruption, right? Their insider trading with stocks, et cetera. So now the press knows those things. And if the person who's created the, the, the engaged in the sin, for lack of a better word, I'm gonna hide it because they're on my team, right? So the press has become part of a team. 
And when you have that, and the, and the data, by the way, supports that, we, we know that, for instance, that the press gives overwhelmingly to Democrats anywhere, depending on the poll, you look at 83, 85% to 95, 98%. No matter what you look, it's overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. So they've chosen a team and they're hiding the bad stuff that their team engages in. That's what's different as compared to what's happened historically. So how do you change that? Man, you just keep calling it out and, and the American people see it. And what's happening is you're, they're starting to gravitate to voices that they think are more reasonable. So mainstream media is being challenged by you know sort of smaller voices, but that's great. It's a marketplace of ideas. It allows really, really smart people, yourself and others to stand up and say, hey, look, listen, here's my own bias. I'm going to admit it. Unlike some of the people in, in mainstream media, I'm going to tell you what my biases are and where I've come from as Brian is a Dem former Democrat, now Republican conservative. Like, you know that on the tape. I'm not hiding any of that. So let me present to you the material. I'm going to offer you my reflection and then you can decide what to do with it or add it to other voices. I think that's what's going to just naturally happen and is already happening. Are there any countries or security services, information services that are doing it significantly better? Like if we get the right people in, is there anyone we can look at that is doing it right? And we could be like, hey, borrow the manual that they have over there. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say that this issue of the politicization of media is widespread. It's across the country and it's been bad in, in lots of places for a long time. And I don't think anybody's got it right. Anybody's doing it well. Um, unfortunately. So that means that we have to come up uh, with the, the set of solutions. And I think we're going to try different things here and th some things are going to work and some things won't. And that's all right. But I think at the end of the day, uh, my hope, and you hate to, to base a plan on this, is that there are going to be enough people in journalism and the owners uh, and the editors who are like, look, we're, we're losing audience share and they're going to other places and, and listening to other people uh, because we are such partisan folks. And so it's, it, we are incentivized and you know, advertisers like us because we've started to gravitate back to just wonkite like news, right? Um, I, I would love to think that that's possible. I don't know that it's going to happen here because most of us click or are attracted to media outlets and personalities who reaffirm our own biases. So I don't know what's going to break that fever. Um, but what about on the, does, what about on the intelligence side? I'm with you on the media side, but yeah. are, is, are there any countries here, this hemisphere, the other hemisphere, maybe on another yeah. planet, is someone doing this somewhat okay? So I'll tell you, I think that a lot of that uh, is pretty close hold. So I don't know the extent to which it's being rooted out. What I do know is that in other countries, uh, if they find that, there is no rule, you know, publicizing that. Uh, they end up just disappearing people, right? They sort of clean house in that sense. So unfortunately that there is no good path. But again, I would go back to the fact of what we did in the 1970s when the CIA got so out of whack. We dealt with it publicly and then we had reforms. And so we did it before and I think we can do it again with thoughtful people who understand that the problem is real. That's the actual issue. Right now you have people in Congress who don't think the issue is real, that we don't have a politicized intelligence community or a politicized law enforcement community. Some of them believe that privately, but they're not willing to do anything about it publicly because the FBI or the CIA has been on their side, right? You remember the, the Democratic congressman who was gonna give a job to the disgraced you know, FBI uh, official who'd done good things for the Democrats? Like That's the kind of stuff that you have to remove those people, putting good people in your House and your Senate who are focused on the country, and then you have these panels, these investigations, you come up with reforms and you get it done. We've done it before, we can do it again. Usually when they screw up or lie to Congress, they just get a job on CNN. 
Right. That's, that's, <laughs> Touche. Yeah. That's generally how it works. Brian, I suspect a political future for you. I don't know that you suspect one, mm. and I thought you were going to make that very face, but I, I suspect one. You know, well, okay, look, that's very kind. Seriously, I mean, I go back to this idea of, like, it's, it's our republic if we can keep it. So as, as much as I make that grimace face, as everyone does, like we have to all figure out ways to get involved, right? So if that's running for your local city council or, or being part of your school board, if it's a county commissioner at some level, like it doesn't have to be you know, the top of the, 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 the poll, you know, in terms of being, being president or senator or something. If that's your passion and you've got the money, great. But just we all have to get involved. So my scrunchy face uh, <laughs> getting involved uh, is, is on the national level, man. It's just, I think we all know what happens when people run for office. Stuff gets yanked out of uh, your, your past, completely misrepresented, um, or you know, you're imperfect, right? And so nobody wants to face that. I don't have a lot of that, so I, I, that's not what anchors me. It's just the idea of, man, just being a public person, always under the microscope. Um, so that's why I'm doing a podcast, so <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. I love my argument. I've just undermined it. It's great. Well, <laughs> former county commissioner Brian Dean Wright, I appreciate you doing the show <laughs> and uh, look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks, man. You betcha. Thanks for tuning into The Rubin Report. Don't forget to review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. If you're looking for early and exclusive content, you can join me on Locals at rubinreport.locals.com.